Hi, I'm Michael Hotard, creator of the Hotard Huddle and host of this awesome pod. In today's world of disinformation and misinformation, what if I told you there's an easy way to be informed about where you spend your money? Cluey Consumer. Download Cluey Consumer in the App Store or visit their website, clueyconsumer.com. Cluey can help you be an informed and conscious consumer. The app allows you to search for brands that you buy from every single day. The best part, it's totally free. The creators of Cluey Consumer hope to one day cover every purchase and every social, environmental, and political impact of those purchases. For example, my family frequently shops at Publix. With Cluey, I know that 73% of Publix political ad campaign spending goes to Republicans. The app doesn't have bias. It doesn't tell you how or where to purchase goods from. It just allows you to see exactly where that dollar could be going. Download Cluey Consumer today for free and become a more informed consumer. That's Cluey Consumer, C-L-U-E-Y Consumer. And again, totally free in the App Store. For more information, visit CluyConsumer.com. Bring it in, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in for the Hotsard Huddle podcast presented by HotsardHuddle.com. It's the pot of open discussion and open dialogue. We talk about a handful of topics that fall under the blanket of sports, entertainment, politics, and business. These are my friends, my people, my fans. You are now Inside the Huddle. Bringing in Michael Hotard back for another episode of the Hotard Huddle podcast. I'm excited to bring back my guest, Kyle Crosby. Last time he was on, we talked about his filmmaking project or TV series project, Louisiana Dread. We're going to talk about some updates with that. Also, some of his latest content on the Louisiana Dread page where he goes to different sites within Louisiana and tells some crazy horror stories about those sites it's real awesome content and i'm super excited to have him back but before we get into that interview here's a message from our sponsor add a little flavor to your kitchen with 985 products 985 products delivers various flavors that hits the taste buds just right making you smile and wanting a tad bit more their products are created with a touch of bayou and a dash of culture the 985 sauce is the food lover's choice for flavor and spice. Or add a dash of the 985 Cajun allspice on your red beans and rice, gumbo, chicken, or soup, and you can fall in love all over again. In addition to their signature sauce and seasoning, wind down with some of their vintage wines like Kerry's Merlot and Kerry's Sauvignon. Join Kerry's Wine Club for $1.95 per year. A membership with Carrie's Wine Club includes five bottles per year, Carrie's Wine Club merch, invitations to wine sampling events, exclusive updates, and a 10% discount on all purchases. When you purchase from 985 Products, use the code HOTARDHUDDLE, all caps, all one word, for a 10% discount on any of their select products. Visit 985products.com. That is the number, 985products.com. And again, Receive 10% off on your purchase with the code HOTARDHUDDLE, all caps, all one word. That is 985products.com. Back joining me 
on the Hotard Huddle podcast in the flesh. I'm excited to have him back. It's his second go, as I alluded to in the intro for this. It's my man, Kyle Crosby, uh, actor, writer, director, all things film. It's uh, it's all him. But uh, last time he was on the podcast, as I alluded to in that intro, Louisiana Dread, it's bringing you Louisiana's best wh- horror stories, essentially. Um so Kyle, welcome back, man. I'm excited to have you on again. Last time we had a real good conversation about kind of where you got started with uh, movies, where the interest peaked. And I remember you telling me it, you know, stemmed a lot from your from your grandmother um, and really the horror genre. So um, excited to talk to you again and welcome back, brother. Oh, dude, it's good to be back, Mike. You know that. And actually, this is one of my grandmother's shirts. Uh, <laughs> I found it at the old place, and I just dig it. I want it for one of the. Uh, I wore it for one of the quick history videos that we do, and people were like walking and driving by, and like, "Hey, man, like that shirt, like that shirt." Like, hey, all right, here we go. That's my style. <laughs> Fuck yeah, man. Um, <laughs> so let's get right into this because those videos you just talked about, um, you know. They, you've been posting these to Louisiana Dread, um, and just to kind of recap, let's let's give I guess everyone a refresher, the short version version of what Louisiana Dread is, what it's going to be. So Louisiana Dread is a horror anthology series, all based on actual Louisiana history, folklore, and culture, and it's used primarily to promote our culture and to promote who we are as Creole people and as people, you know, from Louisiana. And it is mainly um, just uh, quick history videos at the moment and just random posts about a variety of things to do with, with the culture and like stories, local folklore, um, odd historical events. Uh, But eventually the goal is to get funding for the pilot to the series. The whole series is, is written already. We just need funding to fund the pilot. And to do that, we're launching a Patreon April 1st of all kind of content that we have behind the scenes footage and stuff that we've shot during the promos, during all these quick history videos. Um, we're offering uh, just a couple of different things. You can just really check it out on the Patreon, but um mainly that's what I wanted to to do is to bring these stories to life while having local actors, local producers, local writers and, and grip and lighting, all local people to, to show the talent we have here. Because Louisiana, even hundreds of years ago, it's always had so much potential, even today. You know, it, it's, it's potential is... You know, it's unmatched, honestly. And I think it's a good time to capitalize on it and, and to show people all over the world what Louisiana is capable of. And I feel as though with film and, and these videos, it's um, more accessible to people, especially now that they're not able to travel and just get Louisiana in the palm of their hand without having the need to, to, to travel. Uh, and that's or of not being able to, you know, man, it's, it's really great what you're doing with Louisiana dread. Um, I love, and I was telling you this before we started, I love the idea of 
just pumping out these little one minute videos with short stories on things that are happening or things that have happened in new Orleans, because it does have such a rich history. One of the things that I kind of told you about um, on the last episode that we recorded together was my wife and I did a vampire tour because um, we were super into the series vampire diaries and you know, they, they do the vampire tours and, uh, all these like supernatural tours, if you will, in New Orleans. And they just kind of talked about some of the quote unquote horror stories of legends that happened throughout New Orleans. I mean, the city's been around a long time. Um, mm-hmm. But going back to Louisiana Dread and the stories you're putting out there, one of one of my favorite ones, one of the ones that caught my eye the most was um, a story you told about Hurricane Katrina involving one of the hospitals. Um, so rehash that because that to me was interesting. I mean, Hurricane Katrina happened in 2005. And, you know, you and I are of uh, we're old enough to distinctly remember that entire situation. But I didn't even know about this story. So uh, for <clears throat> for the listeners out there who may not know or may know, uh, please tell that one again. Yeah, for sure. Um and most, I mean, yeah, like you said, I, I was, we were around whenever it hit. So I was 15 years old Same. and I didn't, I didn't evacuate. I stayed, but my life during Katrina was focused on Bayou Lafourche and Grand Isle. I didn't really pay much mind to what was going on in New Orleans other than what we saw in the news. Cause that's all they would talk about when it came to Katrina. It wasn't where we were, but we had our own problems to deal with. So Basically, when I was just looking up things for Louisiana Dread, one thing that caught my mind, and, and my, I'm sorry, caught my eye was that the Ashina Baptist, it was called Memorial Hospital. Uh, it's, it's uptown. That area still had patients in it during when the storm hit and it flooded the whole area, just completely inundated all the way around it. And help couldn't come to them for days and days so basically the power was out no electricity and this is in the middle of the summer too mike this is in august keep that in mind most people forget about that aspect that yeah the storm hit but it was also at the end of august brutally hot i take my vacations in august down here i ain't gonna lie you know guess <laughs> you know so inside this this big hospital all these sick patients are getting exposed to not only like the sanitation problems of the water being shut off and no lights, how terrifying that would be. You're in a a hospital, you know, and at the same time, you got all these um, element, like the element, you know, just the heat. It's it's about 115 degrees, 120 degrees Fahrenheit inside the hospital. And pretty much these, these people was under Dr. Anna, Poe, I believe her name was, but she, she, uh, they began euthanizing people that were ill and they had a, a documentary about this, about PBS, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I might be wrong, but, um, just about the decisions that were made when, when that happens. Cause obviously none of us would ever hope to be put in that kind of situation to be able to euthanize people or not to keep them dead or alive. Um, and hopefully none of us ever have to go through that. So it was just about the moral issues of that happening. But pretty much she was acquitted of all charges, uh, as well as the, the people she was working with um, because of the severity of the situation. You know, but 
the, the person inside of me always puts myself in, tries to put myself in people's shoes to know what's, what's going on. I couldn't imagine putting myself in, in her shoes, you know, to make that decision. Um, or let alone just be in that hospital when all that's going on, Mike, because I know down to buy it was rough. But to be trapped in a city is another thing than being trapped on the body where we, a lot of us are used to, you know, being without electricity for days. For Zeta, people on the island and get it for like a month, you know, which was, it sucks. You know, it really does. And I talked to a lot of people at work today about that. Like, you know, it sucks not having that. But at the end of the day, I feel as though people who live on, on like Bayou Lafourche and the island and stuff, they're used to just going on spouts without power and, and clean water as opposed to people in the city. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, the, one of the things that I'll touch on is the heat aspect because, you know, one of the things that I was, you know, very happy to get away from when I moved um, to Atlanta was number one, the idea of having four seasons, number two, being cold um, and, or chilly most of the year. Uh, you know, I was talking to someone about that today and, you know, I lived in Louisiana and South Louisiana my entire life up until recently, up until four months ago. And there was a time where I was fine with the heat, you know, I didn't have a problem with it. And then really, I mean, I guess within the last six, seven, maybe eight years, dude, once it got to a certain time of the year, like even going outside with my kids, man, like, no, I don't want to like, let's go when it's cooler. Um, and now, you know, just today I had a day off of work. So I go to Stone Mountain and I hike that and, you know, it's 50 degrees and sunny. It's perfect. Um, yeah. And I was talking to someone about the Louisiana heat and how I was just thrilled to finally get away from it. Um, but I mean, dude, you talk about being in a hospital with no power during one of the worst natural disasters that new orleans and louisiana has ever seen i mean when you think of hurricanes i I feel like in terms of impact and remembrance i think katrina is probably number one on everyone's mind who's from the city of new orleans so (laughs) when i heard that story i was just i was floored by that because i had no idea yeah Um, most and most people don't and um i have i've gotten a, a bit of criticism for that specific video and i'd like to address that too because uh, the criticism was that uh, that we would be sensationalizing um, something like this. And the um, that couldn't be further from the truth, because, number one, people like myself, like you, had no idea that happened. And it took me completely by surprise. Now, I feel as though not sensationalizing. I'm just trying to inform people in the way I talk. This, I, whenever I do these quick history videos, this isn't. And you know this because you know me. This isn't me putting on the show. Blah, blah, blah. This is, it's just me talking to you. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just talking to the camera because I want to talk to the viewer because I want them to, to try to understand what I'm talking about. So that is not sensationalizing at all. That's just the way I speak. Um, but <clears throat> when it comes to, to a lot of different things in Louisiana is, is pretty shitty especially in its history. And and, and there's a lot that's shitty, but I'm still going to be 
telling you matter of factly, straight up the way it happened, not sensationalizing, not sugarcoating, pardon the pun, you know, because all sugar cane down here, you know, that was stupid. <laughs> well, no. And I mean, that's, you know, that's something I didn't really even think about. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's, I mean, that's a whole nother topic that we could spend an entire episode yeah. on, but you know, I know this, you know, as well as anyone, you know, you put stuff out there um, when it's honest people, there are people who have a problem with honesty, mm-hmm. um, you know, just recently, and this has happened, I would say five or six times since I've been doing the blog, I've been doing the blog now for almost five years. Yeah. And wow, man, I know, dude, it's crazy. Like looking That's back awesome. on everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, but one of the common criticisms and one of the things I've heard from random people, from people that are close to me is, well, you know, cut out the cursing and cut out the language. And I'm like, no, that's why I got out of journalism to begin with. Like, this is who I am. If you don't like it, you can get out. You don't have to read any of my content. And that's kind of the way I feel about it. Like, I, I'm not here to appease to other people. I'm here to do this for for me because I enjoy doing this. Um, so, you know, uh, I know you're more of a, and not to say walk on eggshells kind of personality, but you're a more, a less abrasive personality, I should say. Um, and you know, I, I try not to be abrasive with anyone who's critical of me. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, I'll, I'll respond respect respectfully if they are respectful to me. Um, but in terms of the criticism with the videos you're doing, I mean, I, I agree with you tenfold. If it's factual, you put it out there. You know, if it's a horror story that Louisiana has in its history, you put it out there. Um, but I, I let me ask you, have you gotten any other criticisms about any other videos or that was the only one so far? That's really the only one so far. <laughs> and, hey. and that's why I wanted to address it, because as soon as it pops up, you know, when I nipped it in the bud, just so nobody gets confused. And I just wanted to clear the air. Yeah, no, for sure, man. It's uh it's part of the it's part of what happens when you're putting out content. I mean, there's going to be criticism. It's it's something that's pretty much unavoidable. Um yeah. but I, I guess getting back to Louisiana Dread. So um, you know, like I said, the Katrina story just popped out to me that was like i said easily one of my favorite ones and i've watched several of them but i guess for you what was what was one of your favorite stories um outside of that one that you have done so far because i know you've done you know i don't know how many it's been at this point but i feel like i see a new one every week yeah it's it's we're we're doing a lot we got about 10 or so out right now and um man that's a tough one to, to pick my favorite one we just did three of them uh, in, one in Chenier, one in Leeville, one on Grand Isle. Um, and I also, uh, I'm collaborating with uh, the good people over at Wildcat Brothers Distillery for a, a plethora of more that we're going to be shooting all throughout the state, not only just in New Orleans and down the by, just from Shreveport on down. But pretty much what we'll be doing is uh, these quick history videos. I'd say pick fav- favorite one. The one I just did on Grand Isle is probably my favorite. Uh, just because it'll it'll get that that message out to to more people that I don't think a lot of people would know. Um, but really, 
the good thing about it is that there's so many different topics. There's just so much information out here, Mike, because even when it comes to the, the, the episodes uh, of the Louisiana Dread itself, I have um, five per season. The first 10 are written. So pretty much they have like the Rougarou. That's definitely, you know, top priority. That'll be the pilot. Um, there's Treasures to Jean Lafitte, Sawyer Brothers, and each one will be in a different section of the state and each with their own little twist and unique cultural flavor to it. Because I get Ulysses Deepwater. I, I sent that over to about five screenwriting festivals. It was selected to all five of them and they love it because it's, it's oil. It's, it's offshore work. It's dealing with a lot of oil rigs and things like that, but it's a horror. And um, I'm sure it's not going to get a lot of traction with the female audience, but because it, it's a, it's like a bachelor party that go out and just shit hits the fan pretty much. But it, just to highlight Grand Isle, highlight Tarpon Rodeo, highlight this and that and, and all this that's associated with the, the oil field life and that's a big aspect of the state. Then they have like the Rougarou. That's Acadian culture. That's how, you know, Europeans and, and, and Africans and Native Americans all blended in to make this Creole culture. And then that intermingling, intermingling with the Acadians from Nova Scotia and all this kind of stuff. It, it, all of it, it, it's all tied in. And doing these little one minute videos here and there um, I mean, to pick one is, is difficult, but the one we just did on Grand Isle, I feel like each new one I do is my favorite because I'll learn a little bit about the subject and I'll learn a little bit more about getting them done. You know, uh, oh, let's do this better. Um, do, do, uh, try this angle. Um, don't show me at all here. Let's do some B-roll footage of us driving down the interstate, you know, just, just different things. Um, and, and learning how to how to make it more you know friendly to the viewer and make them more right. interested in hearing about it. But that's that's pretty much what I love doing and working with people from from down here and you know we're just getting that message out there. I love it when people like you'll say, "Man, I didn't know that happened. I did not know that happened." But now, who knows? In ten years from now, you could be sitting at a bar in Manhattan sipping a little cosmopolitan or something i don't know and and basically somebody says hey uh, you know i heard nothing bad happened down there hurricane katrina it's been so long and you're like well buddy let me tell you <laughs> that's awesome well one of the one of the cool parts about these videos and the reason i think they are so appealing is i love that you shoot these on location um yeah. You know, the one uh, for Katrina, you're literally standing right in front of the hospital where it happened. So it paints yeah. the picture it, like it's like you said, it's very appeasing and appealing to the viewer. Um, and, you know, video work and kind of what you're talking about with perfecting that craft. It's interesting because, you know, with me, um, unfortunately, I put a hold on videos because of my current living situation for the most part. But um once once I can get back into creating my own studio, I want to do more videos. But um, when I was shooting videos for um, Bayou Report, I was doing a little sports recap, six, seven, eight-minute videos. And 
you know, when you talk about perfecting those angles, when I go back and watch those, and that was one of the cool parts is I, I think I did maybe six or seven of them. And each time I would try to add either a new element, some sort of new graphic, some sort of new camera angle. And I'd try different things. And that's one of the most fun parts of doing video is just the experimentation of it. Because maybe like you said, you get an angle from this, you put B roll over this. Um, One of, I guess one of the videos that like personally was one of my favorites that I, I had done for huddle was the, uh, the fantasy football video where I talked about being the Sacco. Um, and I had one oh, yeah. of my buddies do the the voiceover for it. So it wasn't me talking and did I it almost like, a, no, that was my buddy, Matt. Um, I, he's got my buddy, Matt. He was on here. Uh, Stumblebee. He's got a YouTube channel for video games. Um, and uh, he, he's got one of the best um, voices for, for radio, for, trailers like it's he's he's literally got one of my favorite voices so i shot yeah. him a script for it and i was just like hey could you possibly record this for me and he was like yeah sure um so i sat on that for months and finally made the video and dude it was funny because everyone was like how did this come out so good i was just like i don't know <laughs> but <Yeah>. um <laughs> No, dude, it's fun to just experiment with video because then you see the final product and then you get those good feedbacks. And, you know, then it's like, all right, what can I do to make this even better next time? Um, But for for you, what's um, so I know you said you've already written written the pilots for the first 10 episodes. I mean, I'm sorry, written the first 10 episodes. Um, so so you have two seasons so each five episodes how long are all the episodes are you looking to kind of be at for these the each of them range from about 30 minutes to roughly an hour um that'll uh yeah again it just varies depending on the story i wanted it to be at least 20 minutes because or 22 minutes uh because that's what the twilight zone episodes were and i mean that's that's got part of the inspiration for me even writing this um but i i tend to want to get longer with them make them more feature but that increases the budget so of course uh, so i wanted to just make them as short and and budget friendly as possible to get funding and then you know when when we get a reasonable amount of funding we can make them longer for sure. So, um, moving beyond those, uh, beyond those two seasons, I mean, as far as the next couple of series, then season three, even, um, do you have anything in the tank or is it still to be determined or is this not something we can discuss yet? We can discuss it. Yeah. And, and I just smile because my team and I, um, who are some of the most talented individuals I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. Uh, we speak about it uh, sometimes and and I'll tell them it's in the drive. It's in the drive. It's in the drive. If you need to have a question, it's all in the Google drive. <laughs> but uh, Mike, to be honest with you, man, I have stories with about a page of treatment worth. And if anybody in the film industry knows what a treatment is, for those who don't, basically a summary of what a play by play of what the, the episode is going to be about. I have up to season 10. Holy shit. With six episodes each season. So 
without with these two the two first seasons would be five episodes each and then subsequently would be six okay so i mean it's uh it's a lot of stories and i'm uh, bro i'm discovering new stories every time i pick up a fucking book that yeah. that, I, that i read about so i'm like okay let's let's put this one down save this for later it's just so much information that i'm putting together and and i'm just learning every single day every single day it's just something new about this damn state and how cool it is and i wish that i could just wear a little camera on my head and everybody just sees and discovers how how when i just sift through different things but it's something that i'm extremely passionate about and i just can't wait for everyone to see these stories and to to hear more of of actual history actual folklore actual culture because man i'm tired of going around the french quarter with my friends every now and then and i'll hear some tour guide named sage or some kind of element amethyst some kind of stuff and they're saying stuff like you know they painted the roofs of the ceilings blue to ward off against vampires i mean that's not true it's for werewolves you know, and nobody, no, I'm just messing with you. But, not, but, but no, it's, it's, it's just something that, I, and, and no knock to the people who do that. It, to being a tour guide is hard. I, I know how to do that. You know, it's very difficult, but I just wanted more people to actually hear the, the, the real truth. Because honestly, the truth is way more fascinating than half the stuff these companies have come up with, you know, to, to make these stories more intriguing. Just say the truth man it's just crazy to see all this stuff you know happen and even down where i'm from i'll hear new stories from my aunts and my uncles and my grandparents you know when i was a kid all the time like um i'll tell you the story uh, this is on Bayou lafouche and my great grand great great grandparents or we're from what's called the point, the point that so sits. It's in Golden Meadow. Everybody from down the bio will listen, will know where that's at. And back then, this is 1800s. The doctor was only on one side of the bayou, and which is on the LA one side. They lived in the, in the point, which is on the opposite side of the bayou from it. And they had no bridges back then. It was all pontoon boats that it would take a team of men to pull a pontoon from one end of the bayou to the other with a big group of people. And they'd move at a time, kind of like a ferry. And my great-great-grandmother was pregnant. And basically, it was in the middle of December. It was a freak winter event like what happened recently except that it snowed and the bayou froze and she goes into labor and they just say we gotta we gotta cross the bayou to get to the doctor so my great-great-grandfather puts her in the boat a p-rog it's it's like a canoe but carved out of like one continuous piece of cypress log used to like navigate bayous and canals and stuff for those that are not familiar with it puts her in the pirog and he's taking the paddle and slamming it on the ice on bio lafouche to break the ice so he can go and, and push the boat in and to the other side 
and they make it about halfway and she, she gives birth in the middle of Baya Lafouche, a frozen Baya Lafouche. Um, now, the baby didn't make it. He, he died of hypothermia. But, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that would happen on, you know, the death and, and these kind of tragic and horrific events would, ha- would happen down the bayou. And, um, you know, that, that kind of stuff is, is stuff that I'm like, what? Like, yeah. I'm 31 years old and I'm just hearing this story. That that's insane. That and that happened with so many families. Yeah. Down down in Bayelfushan on the island. So it's just there's a plethora of different stories that can be told. And honestly, all that stuff's way better than what's going on on cable television or all, any type of shows that I've seen. Yeah. So with with that, I mean, you obviously I know you have a good pulse on the culture, not just, you know, down the bayou, obviously, the New Orleans metro area in um, places uh, in northern Louisiana, you know, Lafayette um, and all these all these places within that have, like you alluded to earlier, they're distinct cultures. Um, Is there a specific region that you are most fascinated with in terms of Louisiana? Like, is there one specific region that you just can't get enough of? Um, <clears throat> that's, that's a good one. But I, I mean, I love New Orleans, bro. I live here now. I mean, I'm from down there and I just, I love it still. I love the whole state. I went up to Ruston for this like church camp way back in the gap and it was just kind of like this retreat and i was young i was like well, girls there's girls gonna be there and i was gonna say you know and i was said this is a dry county this sucks like there's nothing to do and then i'll go there as an adult and i, I know about things like the great raft and all these random little abandoned places that I did research on. And I'm just thinking, damn, like if I had known this back then, I wouldn't have just been staying at, at LA tech. You know what I'm saying? It'd have been just all over the place. So there's always something to see in every little town in this state. You just have to look for it. But in terms of fascination, I, just love going up and down the bayous. Um, this past week, in fact, for my birthday, I, I just picked a bayou and I just went all the way down. I went all the way down to Chauvin. I got up, I went all the way down to Golden Meadow. I went all the way to Lafitte, you know, in Marrero. I just went down and I was just looking at what we are as people the waterways, the trees, everything around us has affected who we are as people, the environment, the humidity, everything going on around us. And I just took a second to reflect and to think of all these people that had came before, you know, these, these lost native tribes these um, anti-Confederate families, these random groups of people that nobody would ever even think to Google or even think to, to just do a bit of research on. And those stories to me 
are some of the most important to bring about because history tries to forget about them mm. or, you know, and, and I don't want that to happen. I just want everything that's ever happened in this state to be documented to where anyone can, can view it at any time. So one of the interesting, um, just kind of playing off of that, uh, about the forgotten stories, obviously one of the big, um, uh, parts in Louisiana history and some of the big historical, um, facilities um and landmarks or plantations um and i wish i could remember which plantation it is but i remember seeing this spread on uh facebook a while back and this was in the midst of um the shooting with ahmaud arbery um and uh george floyd that all those incidents um and this particular plantation doesn't do weddings. They don't do any events. Um, and it's a sensitivity thing because of it being a potential slap in the face for a lot of black folks who live in Louisiana. Um, instead, they do tours where they highlight the uprisings of how the slaves got free. Um, and, you know, that's one of the most interesting things that I had heard because, and I was talking to a friend from high school about this, um, um, who, who I graduated with. And that's what she was saying was if my son's class goes to any field trips at plantation homes, unless they're teaching this stuff, I don't let him go. Um, because it, it sort of glorifies and glamorizes a, a slavery in a sense. And it's yeah. an angle that I never, ever thought of. And, when when I you know saw that post, it just kind of clicked because she was the one who had shared it, and that's when I had first saw it, and I was like, wow, like that's when I just kind of opened the doors on that conversation. Um, but you know, I guess you know you mentioned the things that people forget about, and I guess that's what I'm alluding to there with that story. But when you start yeah. talking about Native American tribes um, or anti-Confederate uh, groups, you know. W- what's one of the groups that I guess you're most fascinated with that fit either of those categories. And, um, you know, what's a, a good story or good fact you've learned from them. Well, um, and I'm gonna get back to the, the plantation thing in a bit. Um, because I, I mean, I, a lot of the plantations that I've been to, they'll do it wrong. They're not going to mention slavery. Um, now I work at a, a plantation uh, as a tour guide. I'm not going to disclose which one, but, uh, I'm able to say off, you know, not a script or anything like that. I'm able to, to talk about the, the horrors and everything that happened because I'm not going to, it's not type of it's glorifying it's education because I've been in the American education system. So have you, and I know I didn't learn half the stuff that I did on my own. Correct. I had to look it up myself and there's a lot of great literature that, that uh, I can I can recommend, you know, if people want to slide in the DMs and, and ask, but they, um, the especially the one you're speaking of, they do a, a, a decent job explaining American slavery, but there are two different types. Now, one's not better than the other. They have Creole slavery, what went down here, 
And then there's American slavery, which also went down down here, but also went around the whole country. And that's what most people are familiar with. When they're thinking in their head of, of slavery, it's always usually American slavery. But there is what was going on down here is also Creole slavery. But <clears throat> I'll hesitate to say different, especially on, on tours, because like when people hear different, they'll think, oh, it was better here or it was worse here, you know, things like that. And, and that's not just not the case. It, it's just very different. And it's, it's mainly because you got these two cultures, American and Creole, and you got two different types of slaves to go along with it. Now, when these Americans and these Creoles have so many differences to begin with, they hate each other. You know that these the, Creole and Americans never got along. So why? There's two cultures, two languages, and the big one is two religions. Protestant and Catholic, of course, they're going to hate each other. So going to, to different plantations, I think they should, they should speak more of the slavery aspect on these plantations. And that's, I'm able to, to go off kilter. And, and, and I love when people ask, ask questions about that, because I'm able to, to, to have a dialogue and to talk to people more and to educate people. Because a lot of people that come into a lot of, of tours don't know much about Creole. And, and that's, that's not their fault. It's not. But um, it's important that when you go on these tours, you listen and, and the tour guys themselves are educated and they know about our culture. They know what's going on. So they're able to educate, not entertain. You know, that's the main thing is that these people want to entertain. They want because why? If it's entertaining, that's going to get more people to come. But if it's informational, if it's fact and it's told in the right way to, to, to let mo people understand what's going on, that's more valuable and that's going to get more attention. But again, a lot of these plantations will, will handle it pretty, pretty wrong. Um, just the, like, a, like the one you spoke of, I, I enjoy going there. But again, that's American slavery it's not as creole they'll, they'll tell some certain stories um <clears throat> but stories about like these these native american tribes and these anti-confederate families a lot of the families who did not own slaves did not want to fight for the confederacy they were violently a lot of them violently forced to do so like the kramer family in, in kramer louisiana they did, said they definitely not fighting, you know, and the Confederate army came down and killed their whole family, buried them in a mass grave. So that kind of stuff happened too. But uh, recently <clears throat> I went down to Montague and uh, Chauvin and just driving up and down there, man, there's so many things about the Homa's nations and down on Bayou Lafourche on the island and in Homa, I don't really, I didn't really see much about the homeless people, but I didn't, I didn't go to, to minutes. I was just passing about passing through, but you, you have stories like chief Joseph and he has a daughter named Rosalie Corteau, who's one of only three native Americans that have records of them, uh, like genealogical records that, you know, they date back to 1700s, but <clears throat> And in fact, in uh, The Treasures of Jean Lafitte, one of the episodes of Louisiana Dread, 
I, uh, one of the main characters in there is uh, a member of the homeless nations and him speaking to, to some people. And it hopefully, you know, the, the language and the dialogue will, will, um, give more insight to who homeless people were, who these people are and their descendants. That's interesting. And, you know, um, when you're talking about that, it kind of reminded me of a time in high school. So one of the teachers that I had in high school, um, RIP, um, as he passed away a couple of years ago, um, but he was an English teacher I had. And I remember him one day, asking about you know where my family history comes from because of my last name and mm-hmm. he had mentioned um you know native american tribes down in homa um and actually sat there and talked to me like we we're in the library i think we were doing research for our paper that year i happened to be finished we were waiting to get out of class and he had just kind of started talking to me about that and i was just like wow uh, that's that's interesting um but it's dude, South Louisiana. I mean, uh, again, all of Louisiana, but South Louisiana, it's, it's a very dynamic and very interesting history. Um, and you know, when you talk about Kramer, that was something I had no idea about the Kramer family. Um, bro, and you went to school at Nichols and that's right across the bias. Not yeah. far away from it at all. Yeah. And that kind of stuff is something I, even in college, I was just, not even focused on. I didn't even, I was just going to Roxas and last call and all this kind of stuff, you know, and I, you and I used to stumble into each other. And when I say stumble, <laughs> I mean, stumble. <laughs> yeah, man. Probably somebody holding me up, you know, <laughs> no, just, no. And that, that was just the furthest thing from my mind, but even in Thibodeau, bro, they got so many cool things to see. And not a lot of people know that. I just think that identity, who we are, um, needs to be preserved. Well, one we, of the things you one of the things you touched on a little bit ago, and it's something that resonates with me, and something I've had many conversations with my family about, and that's how the American school system teaches history. I, I say this all the time, and I will say this till the death of me. We teach with a very propaganda-driven mindset. One of the things that bothers me so much about history and the way it's taught in schools is America always gets painted as the good guys. And I fucking hate that. Just tell me what it is. And that's the other thing is when you're dealing with young kids – what do you expose them to? What what age is appropriate to expose them to the truths and some of the lies that they're going to hear in school? And, you know, diving back into, you know, what's going on in mm-hmm. in 2021 and, you know, all the things we're talking about right now with getting to a more inclusive society for minority communities, whether that be women, whether that be black, whether that be Native American, whether it be Latino, Latina, it doesn't matter. Um, at the end of the day, um, you know, if you're not a white male, you're playing behind the eight ball. And um, obviously right now the hot topic is, you know, black folks because 
of the history here of what's happened to them in the past. And, you know, when you, when you talk with, you know, friends that are a different race than you, you know, one of the, I think one of the things that breaks my heart more than anything, um, is the uncomfortable conversation that black parents have to have with their kids about you're going to have a target on your back. That's not something a seven, eight, nine, ten, even all the way up to a 60 year old should ever have to fucking worry about. But it's a fundamental truth of how this country sort of became constructed and how it was constructed and the laws of the past and how we treated certain individuals. It shapes what it is today. Um, And relating back to Louisiana dread, obviously I love that, you know, you feel passionately enough to tell some of these stories and regardless of any criticism that comes your way, I like that you're going to highlight the truth. And I love that you have basically a, an entire book of, of content to push out there for several seasons. And, um, hopefully get this off the ground. Cause I, I think that's super important because the preservation of history, real history needs to happen. Of course. And- yeah. And like you, like you just said about the, um, about the, the education system in America. I mean, I grew up just like you, just like everybody listening here that the United States is the best country. And I still believe it today, even despite everything that's, that's, that's going on, whatever. The United States is the best country in the world, and it's a refuge for those who may seek it. But it was something that was so overpowering, so uh, omnipotent, just so strong, that wanted to kill my culture. That to me, when I was growing up, seemed so insignificant, speaking French and all this kind of stuff. And mind you, we went to, we were alive for 9 11. Mm-hmm. So after 9-11, I don't know if many people remember this, but there was a very strong anti-French sentiment because they didn't join the coalition with George Bush to go in Iraq. So there was freedom fries and um, all this stuff. They would replace French with freedom and, and they would boycott France. So I'm 11 years old to what, 16 years old. And every time I travel and I'd say something French to my mama, I get a look at the airport or, you know, you, you could just, no, you don't do French. And I know a lot of people around today that, that face some kind of like weird eye, like, Hey, you don't, don't speak French here. You speak English. That's in the two thousands and the nineties, man. And that anti French, anti essentially Creole was pushed down by America for so long and and man i'm not bashing america i'm not an anti-america whatever i live in this country i love this country but it needs to be said that that kind of stuff can't fly well it's it's keeping up with the truth it's keeping up with the reality you there's a difference there's a distinct difference between patriotism and nationalism and that line should never be crossed into nationalism and kind of what you're talking about you know one of the sentiments i heard plenty of times growing up um, from different people was, oh, you come to this country, you speak English. Excuse me? You know, this country is a fucking melting pot, right? 
There's plenty of culture around here. And especially to say that in Louisiana, I just find that ironic because of the French, the heavy French culture down here. Um, but uh, before we wrap up, um, obviously I've enjoyed the conversation. I learned a lot from this episode. And of course, that's always a good time. Um, but one of the things that I like to do to wrap up the episodes, uh, it's a quick little game we'll play. We'll fire away. Um, so three questions each. We'll keep it brief. I'm going to ask you three questions. Um, and then we'll go back and forth. You ask me any three questions that can pertain to anything. Uh, just a fun little, uh, I guess, ice-breaking activity to close out the episode. Um, but Perfect. I'll go first. Um, so let's start with the name Louisiana Dread. How did that come to be? The Basically, the, the, the idea was I want the, the whole subject – in one word, Louisiana, what about it? It's got to be something that, that conveys uh, horror and terror, scary. Louisiana horror sounds dumb. Louisiana scary sounds stupid. And my style of horror, like when I watch these horror movies, my favorite part in most of them is this impending fear this impending wave of 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 horror and an absolute terror this feeling of dread coming up so dread to me encompasses stress anxiety fear and um it's palm sweating all these these characteristics so louisiana dread just seem to flow off the tongue. I like it. I pitch it to a few people, see if they like it. They love it. So and I love stuff. it. I think it's very catchy. I, I like, it's a very simple, easy name to find too. Like if I, um, like before the episode record, I go look it up. It's, it's super easy. It's super catchy. As you said, and I mean, dread dreads a powerful word. I really, I, <laughs> I love that you went with dread just cause it, it rolls off the tongue and it just screams horror. So, um, I love that. Now, Most people have anxiety and stress so they can relate, you know? <laughs> absolutely. So, all right. How did we, now let me just leave the floor to you. How do you want to do this? Do you want me, do you want to go back and forth on this or do you want me to just fire my three and then you fire your three? Fire your three. All right. Three. Next one. Most, uh, most overrated horror movie or horror series. Ooh, bruh. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> The most overrated shit. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna piss off so many people. Um, horror like series and stuff. <clears throat> so for what it's worth, I like slasher movies. I love slashers just because it's a whole genre in itself. It's it's nostalgic. When I'm feeling like upset or this is going to sound like serial killerish but i'll i'll watch a, a, a just a little slasher have it on just to see these you know 80s hairstyles and, and outfits just running out and then getting whacked but the friday the 13th series is great i i was jason Voorhees, okay 
I just think is very overrated. I agree. All right. I just think it's overrated. People just freak out. But when I see the slow moving guy in this mask and stuff, it's, I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. It's, it's scary right when I first started watching it. But then everybody, I guess it's because when I was in Los Angeles, everybody was losing their fucking mind when, when uh, I told them I would be Jason at, at Horror Nights in, uh, at Universal Studios. So I was just like, okay, it's whatever. Like the movie's okay. His mom did most of the stuff. Um, so. Well, I don't know. okay, with with Friday the Thirteenth, I, I was gonna bring that up. One of my favorite parts about it, but I agree that it's overrated. I, I was never a big fan of it, but um, it does have one of the best plot twists I think in horror movie history. And the fact that Mrs. Voorhees is the killer in the first movie because you think the yeah. whole time it's Jason, and then it turns yeah. out it's her. So that was now that, that was, was good. Yeah, but, but no, overwhelmingly, series- I do think the series is overrated and that's not saying it's bad it's just overhyped um so all right let's go with this for my final question for you um i've already told you slashers are my favorite style of horror movies um scream series is second to none for me as far as horrors go it's my favorite series so for you let's go with who is your favorite slasher in terms of killer that would probably be the hash slinging slasher from SpongeBob. <laughs> no, <I'm sorry. laughs> uh, in terms of a slasher, bro, you picked a good one because Scream was so like our time, bro. That's it was 90s. meta. It yeah. was meta, and then Scream Four doubled down on that when it came out, and they just made fun of horror movies even more. It's so great. <laughs> yeah, I, I dig it. Um, I, but I kind of like movies like Wrong Turn. Yeah. Um, that's like you in the woods, you figgity figgity fucked because you have no lifeline in any type of way. I was honestly hooked on, and no pun intended, on the um, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Okay. So you were a fan of, shit, what was his name in the movie? Um, um, Billy Blue or... It was it was Ben Ben, ben Willis. Something. Ben Willis. Ben Willis. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I yeah. actually watched the the sequel to that when they were in the Bahamas and uh, Jack Black got his fucking uh, sliced Dude. up with his white Jamaican dress. <laughs> yeah, man. I, honestly, okay. So that's a guilty pleasure. I love that. No, okay, when I tell y'all I love that movie, especially everybody that's listening, don't think I have shitty taste in movies because. I kind of do, but (laughs) this was like when I was growing up and, and uh, my dad had like one of those illegal boxes that can catch channel 64 and 65. And all the time, I still know what you did last summer was playing. So I'd watch that and I was like, Brandy's in there. And um, I think one of the guys in there's name's uh, Tyreek. And yeah. I was like, mom, I wish my name was Tyreek because he was so fucking cool. <laughs> you know, like, why you name me Kyle? I want to be Tyreek, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I was just one of those times that I just I loved it. I loved yeah. it. And and even the first one, the first one, because all my cousins, my older cousins who I looked up to, they're all in, in the Gen X gen- generation. So they were I know what you did last summer. That's when they were going to school and they went yeah. to high school when all this was going on. And I was you know, in grade school, I didn't know what high school was, but I expected when I got to high school, that's what it would be like. 
Like Jennifer, and I'll say this before we wrap up with my line of questioning. Jennifer Love Hewitt, what a smoke show. Right. Dude, come on. Beautiful. So uh, <laughs> let's hear it. So uh, let, let's fire away. It can pertain to anything. No topic off limits. Let's hear your three questions for me here. All right, Mike. Um, Russell Wilson, good addition, bad addition to the Saints. <sighs> I mean, no matter what, who they give up. Uh, you know, there are pieces where I would be a little disappointed. Guys like Cam Jordan, Michael Thomas, um, if those were casualties because of cap situation, I'd be a little upset. But at the end of the day, uh, if they trade for Russell Wilson, if it were to happen, you're getting a quarterback who you're never going to have a losing season. He's never had a losing season in his career. No matter who's on his roster, he wins. Because there was a three-year, two, three-year period where he had one of the bottom five rosters in the NFL across the board. Seattle still won nine, and then I believe 10, 10 games. So um, no matter what, you're winning. So in any scenario, regardless of who ends up going in that trade, you're still getting Russell Wilson, so I wouldn't be mad. Um, and I would still love the trade because you're getting the definitive number two quarterback in the NFL, period. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I I don't want that to happen. I mean, I, 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 I value your opinion. That's why I wanted to ask you, and I didn't want to text it to you because <laughs> I, I wanted to give an opportunity to ask you here because I wanted to, to see your honest answer. But I don't think I, I think we should just keep what we got. We don't need Russell Wilson. I think we got what we can use because at this point, it's not just having a winning season. You got to beat Brady. You got to win the Super Bowl. Brady. You got to win a Super Bowl. It's they've had the, they've had now. arguably the best roster in the NFL the last four years, and they have nothing to show for it. And that's the disappointing part. Yeah, I don't even want to get started on that. I'm gonna get a, an aneurysm. <laughs> um, my second question to you. Um, do you think that the NBA would do the same thing they did with Anthony Davis, with Chris Paul? They'd do the same thing with Zion in five years to where they send him over somewhere else. And then New Orleans, oh, yay, we get another first-round draft pick. Awesome. New star from college, he's here for another five years, and then he's gone. What do you think about that? Well, it depends. I mean, if the Pelicans don't find a way to win while you have the young core, then, yeah, I mean, it's going to happen just because guys want to win championships. And oh, so wait, you, you're under the impression that the Pelicans aren't in a position that they're in because – that they are in the position that they're in because they're just bad and, and they're always developmental. Not that the NBA has it out against a certain team to make a, make a better market. No, because the most successful franchise in the NBA of the last 20 years is the San Antonio Spurs. They're also one of the smallest markets prior to the breakup of Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. It's a small market. Then if you look over in California, one of the smallest markets, which is the Golden State Warriors, they've been one of the most successful. So this whole idea, and I wrote a column on this, I think, two years ago, 
breaking down the numbers, breaking down each franchise. New York Knicks suck. Mm -hmm. You look at all the major franchises or all the big market franchises. Most of them have been bad for the last 20 years. Now, sure, they've had their winning seasons. Boston's had theirs. Los Angeles has had their run. But overwhelmingly, and in more recent years, the most successful franchises have come from small markets. So I don't think that there's any pull in terms of being a small market team and you not being able to win. You just need to put up W's and people will play for you. Right. I mean, I just think that like New Orleans is not a small market. It's a micro market. And even in San Antonio, they got people all over just even in New Mexico and stuff that's rocking San Antonio. You got people in Mexico rocking San Antonio. And if you think the, the Warriors are a small market, Reckoning small market in terms of the rest of the teams in California. <laughs> okay, you know that makes sense, but minus the Kings. I mean, the, the Shaq calls them the Queens. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> um, so I'm sorry, not Shaq it was the Rock, right? Both I don't even did. know. <laughs> the, the Rock did it too. I mean, but um, so I don't, I don't know. I just think that um, there is some shady stuff going on with the NBA. I think we're in a good spot, though, man. I think Zion, B.I., he's good. Lonzo, whenever Lonzo, now he's starting to click with these people, and and it's going to be good. I I think Brandon Ingram defended him on Twitter the other day, if I'm not mistaken. Good. Good. Yeah, um, man. So stick together. It's just all that kind of good stuff. It's just, just, dude, they have to put up some wins, man. I mean, can't keep losing because at the end of the day, you're going to lose those stars. Yeah, no shit. (laughs) Um. Now, the last question um, is more p- towards, you know, Louisiana culture and stuff like that. Um, what is one thing about Louisiana as a whole that you would change if you were appointed governor tomorrow? Oh, shit. Um, huh, if I could change anything with Louisiana and I was appointed governor tomorrow that's a loaded question i'm not sure i have a great answer um, well, I, I can um we could well, i'll make something easier um we could do it like um what all right actually this what part of louisiana folklore culture anything historical that you are would be more interested in learning about that you really don't know much of um wait let me let me restart that you could edit this part out Ed, edit uh the, the the first question i asked oh you. we do we um, do this unfiltered baby <laughs> all right hey, fuck it. here we go that that do that the the part of louisiana as a whole that you want to know more about that you you really wish there was more information on that you could you could find um i mean i think i think new orleans you can pretty much find it because it is the I would say Louisiana's most famous place. Um, but I think you have something good going with Louisiana dread. And I'm not just saying that because you're on my, you're on this episode, <laughs> but um, I hope not. I hope not. Uh, no, like, I mean, really the, the, some of the stories of uh, families and native American groups um, moving to the Bayou area, you know, um, golden meadow, uh, Montague, Chauvin, all these places down the Bayou, because, once you get beyond, I'd say Desalmonds, you don't, no one, no one above there gives a shit. 
And not saying that to be degrading to those who are, you know, on the, on the tip of Louisiana here, but it's, it's the truth. Um, and I don't, I don't know, but they don't give a shit. I think it's just, they're ignorant. They just don't know because they the don't most- know. And I don't think they care though. I think people are so gung ho near new Orleans about new Orleans and new Orleans only. Um, mm-hmm. And I think one of the interesting things that I kind of thought about saying that is, well, when you start talking about what you see in Louisiana in films and stuff, there's either New Orleans or there's down the bayou where it's just backwoods hicks. And it's so much more than that down there. It's much more diverse than that. Um, So they they care. They they do care because if they didn't care, there would be no medium. There would be no media about the area, but they, they care enough but they just don't they, they don't want to learn about it because right. it's, it's it's too difficult it's a lot of shit mike it's a lot of this and that different we were under three different flags within a week bro yeah. like that stuff don't happen anywhere else and it really takes someone who's willing to educate themselves in more sophisticated mind to really want to accept the information because at the end of the day just no person can be like person on my tour be like hey so could you just brief me on louisiana history i'm like <laughs> what <laughs> bro yeah. let me pull out my encyclopedia it's all here in this pamphlet yeah hey uh, wait for me outside uh and i'm gonna charge you 50 dollars an hour so we'll get we'll get everything going on it'll be about three days <laughs> right. how much time got? you got you got three days and a couple you know, of g's yeah right exactly so um it, it is it's just one of those things that people don't know about but they they care enough to 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 want to to look a little bit more like on tv and stuff like that they're like they're aesthetically but at the end of the day is that what you you know what you're looking at you have no idea well one thing i didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you man i'm sorry no you're good one thing i want to say to touch on that before we wrap up here one of the mm-hmm. most interesting things i've heard more than one occasion living in georgia now when i tell people i am from the New Orleans area because no one knows where Destrehan is around here. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll tell them I'm from New Orleans. They're like, Oh my God, you don't have an accent. I'm like, no, I don't. And then <laughs> I'm just like, I talk just like the people that in the town I grew up in, but uh, I always just attribute to the fact that I went to school for a journalism degree and I dropped the accent. That's the story I go with just to appease to them, to not yeah. make them feel like assholes. Um <laughs> but no man i really appreciate you coming on um again that is my man kyle crosby and uh definitely won't be the last time uh i have you back on as louisiana dread uh continues to pump out videos as uh kyle continues to prepare for um you know releasing this honestly heavily anticipated um series that i cannot wait to watch once it's uh developed you know, I definitely want to keep uh, you guys in the loop with this because, well, it's fucking awesome. And if you listen to this entire episode, he obviously has stories to tell. Uh, but Kyle, thank you so much for coming on again, man. I really appreciated it. Uh, no problem, man. It's always a pleasure being here, Mike. And if you are, um, you want to learn more, just see what we're doing. Go to YouTube and, and follow us. It's Louisiana Dread on YouTube. Also, check out Patreon. Um, it's just Louisiana Dread on Patreon. And on Instagram, it's Louisiana.Dread. 
you know, can check it out on Facebook as well. Every social media platform. Absolutely. And when I tag this, uh, you'll, you'll see it up in the, uh, up in the tags, whether you're on Facebook or Instagram, whatever you're seeing this on, uh, it'll be there. But Kyle, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate you. And as always, honor the huddle. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow the podcast on all major platforms such as Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Don't miss any updates from HotardHuddle.com by going to the website and subscribing to our email list. You can also follow Hotard Huddle on Facebook and Instagram at Hotard Huddle. As always, honor the huddle.